0: Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church, continuing in our Sunday morning series on avoiding confusion. This morning, we're going to avoid confusion in the biblical account of creation. It's very sad how little people know these days about God creating the universe. This used to be second nature to us, but now we have to teach not only the kids, but we got to teach the parents because people don't know anymore. Listen to me ramble. Why don't you listen to the message? (laughs) All righty. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we had a good time on vacation this last week. And uh, thank you for everybody that asked. And we had a good time. Went to Chattanooga. Surprised the boys. They They thought we were coming home, but we took them to Gatlinburg. And so little switcheroo there. So we had a good time. Genesis chapter one, getting right back into our series on avoiding confusion. Uh, We'll stay in this as long as the Lord tells me to. Uh, We might take a break for a Christmas message, but then we'll get right back into it because I feel this stuff is needed. And, you know, the problem is, is that I think churches don't get back to the basics enough. You know, we don't get back to the basics enough like we should. And uh, I think that is, is needed in our society. There's so much confusion going on and we have to address the confusion. If you have your places in Genesis chapter one, one last time I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in respect and reverence the word of God. We're going to begin reading in verse 26, and we'll read through the rest of the chapter, just a few verses. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which was life, which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The title of the message this morning is Avoiding Confusion in the Biblical Account of Creation. The biblical account of creation. We're going to talk about creation this morning. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to pray for our people today. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit and power of God would be on this service. I pray that you would clear our minds and our hearts to receive the word of God. Things that we've heard all our lives, Lord, I pray that we hear them in a different light. I pray that our faith is strengthened, Lord. And I pray that if there be anybody under the sound of my voice that, uh, that has unsure about some of these areas, that they would come to know the truth this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're, like I said, we're talking about avoiding confusion this morning. And we're avoiding confusion. And and how many of you believe that our faith is under attack today? Our faith is under attack today. And how does the devil attack our faith? He questions the Bible. That's what he does. That's his M.O. That's his go-to. He's been doing it from the very beginning Is he questions the Word of God. That is how the devil attacks our faith. And how he brings confusion is he questions this Bible. That's what he does best. But what I want to do this morning is I want to open up our hearts. I want to open up our minds and open up our eyes and take a fresh look at creation. I want to look at this miraculous thing that God has created all around us. Because the point of this series is to decipher truth from error. We want to separate truth and error. Excuse me. And that's what this series is all about. There was a grandfather who was... Hugging his granddaughter. The granddaughter reached over to uh, Papa and felt Papa's arm and reached up and felt Papa's hair and felt Papa's face. And she looked at Papa and said, Papa, did God make you? And the Papa looked down at the daughter and said, Why, yes, honey, God made me. And God made you too. The daughter got out of the Pawpaw's lap and went into the next room and looked at her mirror and she felt her arm and she felt her hair and she looked at her face in the mirror. And then she came back in the next room with Pawpaw and said, Pawpaw, God's doing a lot better job these days. (laughs) But, you know, it's funny that that, you know, when we were kids, we were taught this stuff we were taught about creation. We're taught about Adam and Eve. Kids aren't being taught this these days. Even 20 years ago, kids weren't being taught this. And so you've got kids that have never heard of Adam and Eve, they don't know anything about creation, they've grown up, they have kids, they have, they're have they the parents now, some of them are even grandparents, and now you don't only have to teach this stuff to the kids, like you're supposed to, now you have to teach it to the parents, and now you have to teach it to the grandparents, because people just don't know this stuff anymore. And that's what I want to open our hearts up to this morning, is to look at this miraculous creation that God has made. Back in 2007, there was a, a study done, and the study discovered of all, uh, that, that about 50% of American adults have no idea what creationism is and have no idea about God, about the biblical account of creation. 50%. In 2014, they redid the study, and the number dropped from 50% to 38%. 38% of American adults do not know creationism, do not know the biblical account of creation. And that was 2014. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that number today has dropped even even further. And it's amazing to me Because humanism and secularism and atheism, as time goes on, gets more and more persuasive. And there are fewer and fewer Americans that can identify with creationism. In 2005, which, by the way, is not that long ago, in 2005, there was a landmark case that was decided by a judge in the state of Pennsylvania. And they were suing to have intelligent design uh, taught in their schools. Now, intelligent design, they kind of steal that term from creationists, okay? When when the secular world says, and we believe in intelligent design... But when the secular world talks about intelligent design, really they're talking about theistic evolution, that God started evolution. And so that's what they're wanting to, that was what they were suing for to teach intelligent design in public schools, and the judge denied it. Because the judge said that intelligent design is creationism in disguise, and we don't allow religion in our schools. We don't allow it and, and they disallowed any teaching of creationism in public schools. But let me tell you something, this has been going on for years. When you take the Ten Commandments down from the courthouse, you can't even pray at a high school football game anymore, and the valedictorian of a high school gets up, and in her speech, she gives glory to God, and she's shamed and punished for it. This is nothing new. We do not, the world is saying, our society is saying, we do not want to hear about God in public. And that seems to be the message the United States of America is giving off. We do not want to hear about God in public, keep it private, and even then we don't like it. Okay? And well, this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of creation. We're going to talk about this subject of of creation I'm going to give you three testimonies this morning. I'm going to give you three testimonies that God is the creator, that he is the creator of this miraculous creation that we have all around us this morning. The first testimony we're going to talk about this morning is the testimony of the creator. The testimony of the creator. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." You know, ironically, this debate between evolutionists and creationists, you know, both use science to prove their points. Look, a creationist is not afraid of science. I love science. Science is my favorite subject. I live for science. I live for astronomy. That's, that's the, the, my favorite part of science. So I live for that kind of stuff. A creationist is not afraid of science. Both sides use science to kind of uh, give their points, get their points across. But the thing is, the two sides really couldn't be that different. They're very, very different evolution and creationism. Well, actually, There is one thing that they have in common. You know what that is? Neither group was there when it was created. The evolutionists weren't there when it was created. The creationists weren't there when it was created. But you know who was there? God was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was there. So the creator has a testimony because he was an eyewitness. He saw it. Job 38, 4 and 5. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the measuring line over it? Psalms 104, 5. He established the earth upon its foundations so that it not totter forever and ever. Underneath the testimony of the Creator, first we have his Revelation. We have his revelation, and so regarding this testimony of the Creator, you know we have a testimony. We have a testimony of the Word of God. The Word of God testifies that uh, that uh, that, um, that we can be seen, in the, this revelation from God can be seen in the Bible. It can also be seen in His Son. Because his son, the word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we can see this testimony. We can see this revelation in the word of God. We can see this revelation in in his son. But you know, we can also see this revelation that God is the creator. We can see this in the creation itself, all around us. It's revealed to us. The theologian Henry Thesson defines revelation as this. The act of God where he discloses himself or communicates truth to the mind, whereby he makes manifest to his creatures that which could not be known in any other way. So when God reveals something to us, what he's doing is communicating truth to us. He's communicating truth to our mind, he's communicating truth to our intellect, he's communicating truth to our heart. That is God revealing truth to us. And he's revealing to us his creation and is revealing to us his existence. Creation itself is a revealer of God. Now, it doesn't reveal God's plan. No but it does you know what creation does reveal? Creation reveals that me and you have an obligation to the creator. That's what creation reveals. That me and you have an obligation to the creator. Psalms 19:1 The heavens tell of the glory of God and their expanse declares the work of his hands. This revelation is all around us. This revelation shows us the power of God, and this revelation shows us that God spoke the worlds into existence. So it showed, number two, under that it showed His power. Hebrews 1 verse 10, "...and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they all will wear out like a garment." Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. So we learn in creation about the power of God that spoke the worlds into existence. But not only do we see a revelation of His power in creation, we also see a revelation of His self-existence. God is self-existent. The Bible teaches that in the beginning was God. So you know what God is? I've said this phrase before. He's the uncaused first cause. God is the uncaused first cause. God was outside of matter, speaking matter into existence. So God is not only self-existent, but God is pre existent and God is separate from his creation. He is pre existent and he's separate from his creation. Next, it shows his self existence. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come. Into being. So here we see the uncaused first cause. We have God, the self existent, pre existent God, calling matter into into existence. And that's significant because you know what evolutionists teach? Evolutionists teach that matter is eternal. They teach that matter is eternal. But we believe that God is eternally pre existent. Okay? God is eternally pre existent. And, and you see, it's very important we see that in the Word of God because it's all about His preexistent self. Dr. Tom Wheeler, in his book, The Transformed Thinking, he wrote this, The humanist worldview holds to evolution, rejecting the biblical teaching of creation of all things by God. It is the materialist worldview which argues that matter and energy are all that exist. So you you know who Carl Sagan was? I've heard that name before, Carl Sagan. Um, I've watched his specials. Like I said, I'm a science nerd. I've watched his specials before. But Carl Sagan, of course, he was an atheist. And he said this, The materialist view, this is Carl Sagan, is that the cosmos is all that is or was or ever will be. That is why many evolutionists worship the earth or the earth goddess Gaia, Because they believe that this material existence is eternal and that we must care for it and worship it because it's all that ever was and all that ever will be. That's very different from the Christian view. That worldview is very different from the Christian worldview. And and, 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 and evolution puts forth this theory that matter and energy are eternal, but we say, no, God... The Bible teaches that God is preexistent of matter. God is preexistent of energy, and he spoke all these things into existence. He is a, an infinite spirit. He's distinct from matter. God is eternal. Matter is not. This is what the Bible teaches. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Isaiah 43, 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. I'm giving you scripture to support this. Psalms 90, verse two, before the mountains were born or, or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you our God. Our God is an everlasting God. Our God is a self-existent God. Our God is pre-existent to matter and energy. Our God is separate from his creation, and our God called matter into existence. One atheist, Jonathan Wells, he's a PhD, he wrote this. This is an atheist. This is an atheist saying this. I think people who believe that life emerged naturalistically, he's talking about evolution, need to have a great deal more faith than people who reasonably infer that there is an intelligent designer. Science, you might say, has discovered that our existence is infinitely improbable and hence a miracle. Darwinism is merely a materialistic philosophy masquerading as science and people are recognizing it for what it is. Okay, basically what he's saying is it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in creation. It takes more faith to believe that, to believe that we came from uh, microbes in the sea, to believe that uh, there was a big bang and everything just kind of came together. It takes more faith to believe that than it takes to believe that God created everything. Darwinism in and of itself is a materialistic philosophy more than it's a science. And Darwinism for some people is even a form of religion. It's even a form of religion. It's not superior to science at all. God calls out to us in his revelation. His clear testimony tells us that. That he exists and that his power is real and his being is Eternal. So not only do we have a revelation for God, not only do we see the reliability of God, uh, I I want you to see His reliability. The Bible speaks of God's reliability in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Did you hear that? God is holding all things together. He is what holds everything together. You ever sing that song when you were a kid? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. We used to sing it on the bus, and then we'd sing different verses to it. We'd say, he's got you and me, brother, in his hands. But you know what my favorite verse was? My favorite verse was the itty-bitty babies. (laughs) He's got the itty-bitty babies in his hands. He's got the itty-bitty babies. But you know, the point is, is that God does have The whole world in his hands. This song is very, very true. As bad as the world is, would you want to live in a world where God isn't holding things together? One day that's going to happen. One day he's going to take the Holy Spirit away from the earth. He's not going to be holding things together anymore. It's going to be a seven year period here on earth and you don't want to be here when that happens right now, as bad as things are, could you imagine God not holding things together? He is holding things together. That's His testimony. The testimony of the Creator says, I am holding everything together. I am the beginning. Number two this morning, first we have the testimony of the Creator. Number two, we have the testimony of the creation. You see, the Bible says, in the beginning... God created. Now, now, why do Christians, why do we insist on the doctrine of creation? Why do we insist on it? Because in that Bible, over 50 times, 53 times to be exact, 53 times in that Bible, it says God created. And when it's most of the time when it says that, it has to do with the planets, it has to do with the stars, it has to do with mankind. This Bible says God created. The scripture does not hide facts when it comes to the origin of our universe. It doesn't. Genesis 1:16 and 17. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And He made the stars also. Notice this. God placed them. Who placed them? Who placed them? God placed them. In the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. So who placed them? God placed them. God said, stars, I want you to go over here. Sun, I want you to go over here. Asteroid belt, I want you to go over here. Pluto, I'm going to put you over here. And God placed everything in order. And it's an intricate order. It's an intelligent design. I think about our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And I think about how unique our galaxy is. You know how unique our galaxy is? Our galaxy is so unique because it's the only galaxy that has life. Brother Brett, how in the world can you say that? Man, Brother Brett, don't you look at the Hubble Space Telescope and you see all the billions of galaxies is out there and you're going to stand up and say that the earth is the only planet that has life on it? Where do you get that from? Well, you read the biblical account of creation. He created the earth before he created the rest of the galaxy. Earth was first. He created earth before He created everything else. That's according to this Bible. Okay? You know why He created all that? He created all that for me and you. For when we get to eternity. There's always going to be some place to explore. There's always going to be a different planet to go camping on. Okay? There's always going to be a place to go. He created all that for us. What's want you to think about the earth. Did you know that if the earth was 5% closer or further away from the sun, that life could not exist on this planet? We'd freeze, or we'd burn up. If it was any closer, if it was any further away, it's, it, would, it would, life couldn't exist, but it's in the perfect, perfect orbit. Think about Jupiter. Did you know Jupiter? Um, Jupiter is like the solar system vacuum cleaner. Do you know that, that Jupiter, and we've seen this happen, comets and asteroids that could be potentially dangerous to our planet are sucked in by the gravity of Jupiter, and instead of crashing into Earth, they crash into Jupiter. We have film evidence of this happening. Jupiter was put out there to protect this planet. Jupiter is like a century that stands out there in the solar system and protects God's creation of this planet. It's in the perfect place. It is the perfect size. It is right where it's supposed to be. Did you know this year, the winter solstice, December 21st, For the first time in 800 years, Saturn and Jupiter are going to line up right behind each other. And we're going to see in the sky is going to appear to be a new bright star. How many times? Have we read the biblical? Have we read the 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 the, the nativity story in the Bible and people saying, I mean no new star? How is that gonna happen? We're gonna see it happen. It's gonna happen on Christmas this year. And that's awesome, ain't it? Oh, that's just a coincidence. That's just oh interesting coincidence. New star happens on Christmas. Think of our son. Our sun is so ideal. Did you know that 90% of the stars in our galaxy are what's called red dwarf stars? Our sun consumes just the right amount of energy for us to be in our solar system where water can exist. We have a perfect sun. God set the sun in a perfect place. Let me tell you how intricate God's design is. And this this doesn't happen every winter solstice, which is December 21st. This happens every winter solstice. Did you know that the sun, every day of the year, it gets lower and lower and lower in the sky, and the days get shorter and shorter and shorter? And the one day a year where the sun is at its lowest point And the sun, the days are the shortest, or December 21st, that's the winter solstice. Every year this happens. On December 21st, the sun gets at the lowest part it gets in the sky. It stays there for three days. And then on December 25th, it starts going back up in the sky. So basically, the sun dies Stays down for three days and after the third day it starts raising up again. Oh, that's just a quinky dink. That's just a little coincidence. Really, there's a lot of quinky dinkies going around. A lot of coincidences. Did you know that our that our 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 moon is ideal? Our moon is so ideal for us, it keeps the planet from laying over. The, the gravitational pull of our moon is perfectly designed for our tides, and it's set in place by God. And 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 if if the moon was any bigger or the moon was any smaller, then we wouldn't have twenty-four hour days. There's, the Earth would either speed up or slow down. It does that according to the size of our moon. Did you know? Did you know? that the sun is 400 times further away from earth than the moon is. But in another coincidence, our moon is exactly 400 times smaller than the sun. So what does this mean for us? From our perspective, the moon and the sun are exactly the same size. If it was any bigger, if it was any smaller, we wouldn't have eclipses. If it was smaller, there would never be an eclipse. If it was any bigger, we might have an eclipse, but we wouldn't be able to see the sun's corona. We only see the sun's corona because the moon and the sun, from our perspective, are exactly the same size, perfect. And you know what scientists say? Oh, we are so lucky to live in a time in human history when we can recognize the, the, the coincidence that's going on. Where we can reckon it's not a coincidence. It's not that look, there's no other moon like our moon. You know, our moon for our planet, when you look at other planets and other moons, and in in, 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 not only in our solar system, but in the surrounding solar systems, we can look. At other stars, and we can measure the size of planets, and we can measure the size of their moons. And let me tell you something, uh, our moon is very big compared to other moons. You would almost say that our moon is, and our Earth, it's almost like a binary planet system, okay? Our moon is very big compared to other moons that we've seen, or we've, we've been looking in the sky for decades, and we can't find another moon like our moon because God put it in its perfect place. And God made it just the way it's supposed to be. Yes, the Creator says, In the beginning was me. The Creator, the Creator testifies, I created it. But the creation testifies too. The creation says that there's an intelligent design behind this. There was no accidental Big Bang. A letter factory didn't blow up and a dictionary fall from the sky. You didn't put a bunch of gears in a plastic jar, shake it up and a Rolex comes out. It did not happen. But what's the purpose? What's the purpose of creation? Why did he put it here? Philosophers have been studying this for decades, for centuries, and the answer has always been in the Bible. Psalms 19.1, the heavens tell the glory of God. That's the purpose. The purpose of creation is to glorify God. To tell of the glory of God. That is why God created the heavens, that they may bring glory to him, And when I see the stars, and when I see the mountains, and when I'm standing on top of a mountain in the Smoky Mountains, and I'm looking out at that mountain range, and I look at the stars, and I see the planets line, and I see the constellations, I can't help but know that there is a Creator. I am drawn to think of God's power. I am drawn to think of God's wonder. I am drawn to think of God's majesty. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and because of your will, they exist and were created. Yes, God says there's a, there's a product. Yes, God says here's the purpose. But I also want to tell you about its perfection. I want to tell you about its perfection, the perfection of God's creation. Genesis 131, and God saw all that he had and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now think about that. God saw his creation and what did he say? He said, it was good. What does that mean? God gets it right the first time. God gets it right the first time. Hey, when me and you create something, it takes, you know, we might have to erase and recut. And we you know, you know, uh, you know, they say measure twice and cut once. And a lot of times we eyeball it. And even, even when we try really hard, we end up cutting three or four times. Okay. We always have to redo things you know i passed by that 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 nissan plant in jackson i passed by it Uh, very often going up to Memphis and you see that Nissan plant you see all the cars in the parking lot from the workers in there working on that assembly line and you've got to know they've got that assembly line down to a science they've been perfecting that assembly line for absolutely for years and they want all those cars coming off that line to be exactly the same be perfect every single time but you know There are hundreds, if not thousands of times that a product has come off that line and it's got something wrong with it. It's got a flaw in it. They've had to redo the design. And then you got recalls. You put these cars out there and then they get recalls. And why is that? Because they're not God, because God gets it right on the first time. God gets it right on the first time, every time. James 117, every good thing that it is given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God does not vary. God is perfect every time. Psalms 139, 14, I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows. It very well. Can you hear this morning? The testimony of the creator in the beginning was God. Can you hear this morning? The testimony of the creation. It's perfect. Everything in its right place. But number three this morning, I want to tell you about the testimony of conflict, the testimony of conflict, because even though God is revealing himself through his word and through his son and through his creation, and he's communicating to us his love and is communicating to us his creation, there's still a conflict today. Why? Because Satan is attacking. Satan is attacking his design, Satan is attacking his power over this universe. And you know, and sometimes, sometimes you gotta step back and you gotta look at the side you're on, and, and, and sometimes you got to tell which side to be on. For instance, for example, you step back and you say, okay, which side of this conflict do I need to be on? Well, you look over here, and they're blaspheming God, and they're blaspheming all that is holy, and they're killing babies in the womb, and they're doing all this vile stuff, and you think, oh, well, I need to be over here. Can you, see, can you see what I'm saying? you get what I'm, what I'm trying to do? You kind of step back and size it up. Well, when it comes to this, this thing between evolution and creationism, you need to step back and see which side is the confusion coming from. Because let me tell you something. It wasn't always confusing. Back when our country first started, this wasn't a confusing issue. It wasn't confusion. This creation didn't bring in the confusion. Evolution did. Okay, It didn't used to be such a confusing matter. But it's more confusing today than it ever has been before. And why? Let me give you a verse. Romans one twenty. Listen to this verse. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature... Having been clearly perceived, being understood by what is made. So what that verse is saying, that they've perceived God and his attributes by looking at the creation, okay? So that they are without excuse. Well, that doesn't make sense. If, if every person can look at creation and know that there's a creator Why do they rebel? Why do they rebel against it? Because they're of their father, the devil, the father of rebellion. Satan is the father of rebellion. Isaiah 14, verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, you star of morning, the sun of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have defeated the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be brought down to Sheol, to the re- recesses of the pit. Satan says, I will be my own God. I will put myself in the place of God. And one of the reasons that men reject creationism is because they reject the Creator. They reject the Creator. They cling, they cling to these other theories. Why? Because they refuse to believe in God, this is a spirit of rebellion that goes all the way back to Satan himself. We see in Genesis chapter three Satan comes up to Eve and says, "Are you know he says, uh, um, yea, hath God said, uh, shall ye not eat of the tree of the garden?" He says, "Has God said that you will surely die if you eat of this tree?" and he's just questioning and is rebelling against God. And let me tell you something this rebellion against the creationism. It didn't start in a college class. It didn't start in the human resources of of your work. This battle goes all the way back to the beginning. It's much older than that. (coughs) 2 Corinthians 4.4 In whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Satan does not want people to believe in the Son of God. So he blinds the unbelieving. He blinds their eyes. And he gives them philosophies. And he gives them teachings. And he gives them theories. Because he doesn't want them to believe in Christ. Okay? Okay? If you, if if, because if you would ever consider that creation was from a creator, they would have to consider the creator and his creation. But Satan's blinding them. He's blinding them because he doesn't want them. He's blinding them about creation because he doesn't want them to know that that there's a creator. 2 Peter 3, 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. Following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning. What, is, what does evolution teach? Here, here's what it boils down to Evolution teaches nothing times nobody equals everything. Let me say that again. Here's what evolu- evolution teaches. Nothing times nobody equals everything. And despite that, the theory's widespread acceptance, our kids are having it shoveled in their mouth in class. Nothing times nobody equals everything. There was an, an evolutionist, Michael Denton, And he said this, Darwinism broke man's link with God. That's what this is really about. As far as Christianity is concerned, the advent of the theory of evolution was catastrophic. The decline in religious belief can probably attributed more to the propagation and advocacy by the intellectual scientific community of Darwin than in any other factor. You know what he's saying is that evolution has said you don't need God. That's its biggest selling point. The biggest selling point of evolution is we don't need God anymore. We don't need God anymore. And that's proof that they shut down intelligent design or theistic evolution, even though that's not correct. God does not need evolution to create everything. He doesn't need it. He speaks and it happens. It took six days. He rested on the seventh. It didn't take billions of years. God does not need evolution to create everything. He doesn't need it. Okay? He spoke and things came into existence. But they don't want to admit that there's a God. So what can we do? What can we do about this? What is the road to restoration? Here's the road to restoration. It's very simple. It's two words. Repentance and faith. That's the solution. Repentance and faith. In fact, not just, not just Darwinism and evolution turn into creationism, but anything you got that is the solution for it. Whether it's evolution, whether it's a sexual sin, whether it's just a wrong decision that you made, the answer is repentance and faith. You turn from it to a faith in Jesus Christ, and that is the answer to this problem. Repentance and faith is always the way of God's restoration. I want you... At some point this week, in your busy day, in your busy week, when you're by yourself, I want you to stop. I want you to turn around. I want you to look at God's creation. I want you to thank him for it. And when somebody stands up and spouts lies, you push back with the truth. Too often Christians stay silent. Too often Christians don't speak up because we don't want to muddy the waters and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we want to all get along and we want to be liked and we think how are we going to reach them if they don't like us? The truth doesn't care if they like you or not. The truth is the truth. You can deliver the truth with love, but deliver the truth Don't be afraid to stand up and speak the truth. What's wrong with our country today? It's not Congress's fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's the church's fault. It's the Christians' fault. You're not going to see a Muslim get out there. Muslims won't let anybody talk about Allah. They won't. But Christians, they mock Jesus and they mock our Bible and they mock our church. And we just kind of oh, turn the other cheek. Hey, look, there's a time to turn the other cheek and there's a time to flip the tables over. Right. And there's a time to make a whip. And there's a time to drive sin out of the house of God. Right. There's a time for both Jesus wasn't a pushover. Meekness isn't weakness. We need to stop cowering down the lies and stand up for the truth in the word of God.